Again, if you have a copy of God's Word, look with us at the book of Proverbs this morning. Book of Proverbs chapter 3. As we focus just on two verses. Book of Proverbs chapter 3. Begin reading with verse 9. For the record, I offered to play chopsticks to dedicate our piano, but no, they wanted a Grammy winner. Every January, I, I, I do a series on stewardship, as Mark has already mentioned. It's a great time to do a message on stewardship. And a lot of people, unfortunately, think it's only about money. Stewardship is more about money. It's about everything. And so we'll look at that this, this month. But stewardship does involve money. It does involve our possessions. And so today, that's where our focus will be on. In the book of Proverbs, we find two verses. Listen to what Solomon writes. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Pray with me. Our Father, today we pray you open our hearts and our minds as we look again at this topic of stewardship. That, Father, we will understand it and follow it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John grew up in poverty. In fact, John suffered most of his life. His father was a con artist. He was a traveling salesman, a a self-described botanic physician. He refused to live the nine-to-five job, and so what he did, he went from town to town selling this elixir that he claimed could cure cancer and other items. And he would stay on the road as long as he could until he ran out of money, and then he would return home, and what he would do, he would take the money his wife and his children had made on the side and then hit the road again. In every town that John's father went, he had girlfriends and mistresses. In fact, he literally hired one of his mistresses to be their housekeeper even though they didn't have very little money. John lived with the stigma of poverty. They were poor. In fact, his elementary school told him and his brother they could not be in the school picture because of their tattered clothing. It would be an embarrassment to the school if you're in this picture. And so he, he and his brother, neither one were in the school picture. Life was tough for John. John's father said what he wanted to do, he wanted to make his son a harsh businessman by teaching him dishonesty and ruthlessness in order for him to get ahead. But fortunately for John, his mother had a greater influence. His mother was a Christian. And she instilled into her son the habits of the Christian faith. For example, hard work, self-control, saving money, being a good steward. She taught him at a very young age the value of money. And so what John did, even as a child, he began to earn money in the neighborhood. He began raising turkeys and and selling chocolate to his school friends. The result? His father one night came in and stole all the money from his piggy bank. And finally one day, John's father left, abandoned the family, never to come back. And John said that was the day he became rich because that was the day he realized I have to work for survival. And every year after that, he celebrated that day as an anniversary. 
And John did work. John was saving. He was always aware that one day he might lose everything. But even though he struggled financially early on, he always tithed. He always gave 10% to the local church. And he did that the rest of his life. And so through hard work and through being smart with money, John made some key investments. For example, in 1865, he bought an oil refinery. By 1868, it was the largest oil refinery in the world. It became Standard Oil. And John D. Rockefeller became the richest man in the world. How rich? At one time, he controlled 90% of the oil produced in this country. Rockefeller estimated $1.4 billion net worth in 1937. In fact, even today, he's still considered the richest individual in American business and economic history. Now, please understand, if you read his life, he's not perfect. But he did leave the Christian faith. He read the Bible daily. He attended prayer meeting twice a week. He and his wife led a Bible study in their home. And he, gave, he took the Sabbath off. And he gave money to the church, the tithe, and to charities. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. But he always felt it was God who gave him everything. and He wanted to honor God with what he had. And so he made this statement. He said, I would never have been able to tithe the first million dollars if I ever had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. In the Bible, we find some other financial advice from one of the richest, most successful, and wisest man who ever lived. His name is Solomon. He is the author of the book of Proverbs. Solomon was an international trader, politician, author, Amateur zoologist, amateur botanist. He was a philosopher. He was a king. And he was the wisest man in the world because God gave him wisdom. Therefore, as you look at the book of Proverbs, you realize that the, his management ideas came from God. So in these verses that we're going to look at this morning, Solomon is going to answer four questions on money management and stewardship that we might have. And remember, this comes from our Lord. Stewardship is about managing. That's all it is. Don't, don't make it complicated. A manager is someone who takes care of something that belongs to someone else. So, so if you're a bank manager, the money in the bank doesn't belong to you. You just manage it for someone else. If you're a store manager, you don't own the store. You're just managing it for someone else. If you are a baseball manager, you don't own the team. You're just taking care of it for someone else. The Bible says that all of us are managers. Like everything we have belongs to God, and we are to take care of what God has given to us. We are accountable for that. And again, most people, as I said a few moments ago, most people think stewardship is only about money, but that's only part of it. I mean, last week we looked at the stewardship of opportunities. Every opportunity you have is an opportunity that God has given to you. And next week we're going to look at some other items of stewardship. And the following week after that, some more items of stewardship. But this morning, we're going to focus on money and possessions. Now, before we do this, if, if you're new here, we say this every year, I just want to remind you, according to the Bible, money is not good or evil. Money is actually neutral. The question is, how do you respond to it? How do you think about it? It's possible a poor person can have love for money and worship money. And it's possible a rich person who has a lot of money doesn't love money and doesn't worship it. 
The issue is not what you have. The issue is how you think about it and what you do with it. So, for example, Abraham. In the Old Testament, Abraham, who was made famous because of his faith, the father of the Jewish nation, the Bible says in Genesis 13, verse 2, he was very rich in silver and gold. David, a man after God's own heart, the greatest king of Israel, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, it says as he died, he died in a good old age full of days and riches. When Jesus died, it was Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. They borrowed his tomb. Matthew chapter 27 verse 57 said he was a rich man. Not, not one time did they condemn these people. But one day... Jesus was talking to a rich young man, and Jesus told him, you have to sell everything to follow me. Wow, what's the difference? In that young man's life, money was God. Jesus said to him, you have to get rid of your God if you're going to follow me. So please understand, as we're talking about this topic this morning, the Bible never says it's wrong for for someone to, to have money or to have stuff. The problem comes when money and stuff have us. The problem is when we start loving money and stuff more than we love God. That is the issue the Bible addresses. We are accountable to what God has given to us. So what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. And some I long for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So please understand, the issue is our attitude toward it, how we think about it. Why is the love of money evil? Well, Solomon tells us in another book, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, this is what Solomon says. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. That's the problem. If you love money, if you love stuff, you're never going to be satisfied, and God is the one who's supposed to give you satisfaction. If you're always trying to get more and more and more and more and more, it becomes your God. That is why the love of money, the love of stuff is dangerous. So, for example, is it possible someone doesn't give to the church because they want nicer things? What does that say? Or you don't give to the church because you want more stuff? What does that say? You don't give the church because you want to have Netflix or Hulu or another better cable plan? You, you don't want to go on a mission trip because you rather go on a better vacation? You, you see the problem? The question is, who do you love the most? That is why the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So, with that in mind, here's Solomon in the book of Proverbs. He's going to answer some questions that we have about stewardship. So, let's look at it. First question, what is the purpose of my stewardship? What is the purpose of my stewardship? He tells us in the first three words of verse 9, honor the Lord. There it is. That is the purpose of stewardship. We are stewards. We are managers of what God has given to us to honor the Lord. And this is in every category of our lives. The way we spend our time, the way we, we, we spend our testimony, the way we spend our treasure. Are we honoring the Lord? I mean, you try to make a tough decision in life, the first question you should always ask, does this honor the Lord? If the answer is no, there's your answer. The primary purpose that all of us have as believers is to honor the Lord. 
Because some people are motivated by guilt. They think they I just have, I ought to do this. And, and some people are motivated by fear. Well, if I don't do this, God is going to punish me. And, and some people are motivated by pride. Well, I need to do this to keep up my image so people think better of me. Some people are motivated by superstition. If I don't give, bad things are going to happen to me. Some people are motivated by legalism. Well, I, I, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to hate every minute of it. The Bible says we are to do it by grace, by love, by honoring the Lord. I, I hope you realize this morning, everything you own will be in someone else's name someday. Some of you are looking petrified right now. Your land, your home, your assets, one day someone else is going to get it. We are simply managers, stewards of what we have, and our purpose our, is to honor the Lord with what he has given to us. In fact, God says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 20, those who honor me, I will honor them. So as we are honoring God, God said he will honor us. Whenever you give in the right way, you honor God. Second question, what is the product of my stewardship? What is the product of my stewardship? Look at verse 9 again. He says, honor the Lord from your wealth. Some translations might have the word from your possessions, what you have. We are to honor God with everything. Now, right here, Solomon is, is emphasizing money. He's emphasizing possessions. If we're going to honor God, he says we're to honor God with what we have, the materialistic things we have. Now, we honor God through everything, but we especially honor God with the things we have. Now, here's what I, I'm thinking. If we are to honor God, then logically, that means that we can dishonor God with our wealth, right? Isn't that logical? If God says, honor me with your wealth, logically that tells me we can dishonor God with our wealth. What does that mean? How can we dishonor God with what we have? Well, let's think about it. I mean, you think about our our possessions, our, our wealth. How can we dishonor God? Well, let me give you three ways. Number one, how we get it. We can dishonor God by how we get what we have. How we get our possessions can either honor God or dishonor God. Some people get wealthy in ways they're dishonoring to God. They they make shady deals. They make illegal deals. They they make deals that hurt people. They do things in ways they cannot honor Christ. They cannot share their faith doing that item. The person who who makes money cannot be honoring God in those ways. The, The person who's using children around the world in sweatshops is not honoring God. You understand that, right? How we get money can honor God or dishonor God. Secondly, how we guard it can honor God or dishonor God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, here's what he's talking about. He's saying, don't be a hoarder of what you have. Don't guard it selfishly. Now, he's not talking about investing your money. He's not talking about putting in the money. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about guarding it in such a way that you have no joy. You have no satisfaction. You can guard your wealth. You can guard your possessions to the point you miss out on life. I told the story before. I, I had a relative who hoarded her money. I mean, she hoarded everything. She never enjoyed life. 
She, she literally sat in the dark during the day when it was cloudy because she wasn't going to turn the lights on. I told somebody this a few weeks ago. When she died, we went to her garage. She had boxes and boxes and boxes of all the free stuff you can get at restaurants. She paid for that, you see. I paid for everything on this table, and she just dumped it in her purse. And then she divided it up in boxes. She didn't believe in buying gifts for anyone because that was her money, and she might need it someday. She isolated herself from all the family. It was tough watching her living alone. And then something happened to her, and there was no one there to take care of her. She always lived in fear something would happen, and something did, because she was guarding it and hoarding it to the point that life left her. Third, how we give it. How we give it can honor or dishonor God. I mean, God says that we're to be stewards of our blessings. How we give is virtually important to God and God's kingdom because God expects us to give. Through the Bible, he tells us we're to tithe 10% to the church. He tells us to be uh, generous to those who are hurting, that we are to help those around us, to help the poor. If we do not give, we are not honoring God. And so God says, you need to understand to honor me and dishonor me with your possessions. Now, if this bothers you, I want to remind you some things. We say this every year. God owns it all anyway. He just asks us to manage it. You know, everything I have, it belongs to God. I, I don't own anything. He owns it all. So he has the right, therefore, he has the right to do whatever he wants to with what I have. Right? If God owns it, he has the right to do whatever he wants to it. So God can give me more or God can take it all away. It's up to him. It's his right. God owns it all. He has the right to take it away. And third, if God owns everything, then every decision I make, spending, becomes a spiritual decision. Now, this is where people get bothered. You see, a lot of Christians want to believe this. Well, 10% goes to God and 90% belongs to me. I can do whatever I want to with it. That's almost true. God says, I want you to give me 10%, but here's what. The 90%, those are still spiritual decisions because I still own that too. What we have belongs to God, and we're accountable. In 2016, it was in the news, John David Barrett of Gilbert, Arizona, went to jail for misusing the company money. What he did, he spent $480,000 of his employer's money for pornographic sites and to pay for strippers. They did an investigation. They found out that he was buying chocolates and flowers and electronic equipment and shoes uh, to strippers that he had come to the office. He also spent $26,800 for not his money, the employee's money, to pay for the tuition for one of the strippers. He also bought her new tires. He also paid her parents' utilities. During the audit, they discovered this, $480,000 that he spent in pornographic sites and strip clubs. And people said, I find it fascinating during this time when the article got out, that people were saying, oh, if only he had spent his money. (laughs) 
I got news for you. If he spent his money, it's still not his money. That's God's money. God owns it all. God had loaned it to us, and we're going to give an account how we spend it. If God owns everything, the Bible says he does, then what I do with it and what he has given to me has become a spiritual decision. See, God's plan is simple. God plans to give it to us, and then we turn around and we serve him with it. That's a sign of faith. And God says, I'll give it to you. You give it back to me, I'll take care of you. That's the test. And so our possessions are a test. Again, everything you have, you're either going to lose it or you're going to leave it. Okay? Sorry. You're going to lose it. It's going to rot. It's going to depreciate. It's going to fall apart. It's going to become obsolete. It's going to be stolen. It's going to be broken. It's going to be destroyed. Or you're going to leave it when you die. Everything. That is why Jesus says, this alternative, store up for your treasures, yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Your possessions is what God wants you to be stewards of. Third, what, what is the priority of my stewardship? What's the priority? Well, he says in verse 9, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. There's the priority. God is very specific in what he says. He says, from the very first, what you get. The Israelite brought the first fruit of their crops to acknowledge God. They, the very first thing they got, they brought to God. By the way, it's called the law of the first in the Bible, the, the, the concept, because God wants us to give him the first. So what do we do? We give him the first day of the week. We give him the first day, the time in the morning. We give him the first. And God says, as I bless you, you are to give the first that I give to you. So in practical terminology, what God is saying is what we get before taxes belongs to him. We are to give the first fruit. Before the IRS gets it, before our vacation fund gets it, before our hobbies get it, before our credit card get it, God says, I want you to give it to me first. So that's why Christian tithing is the beginning of stewardship. It's not the end. That's just the beginning. But God says, I want you to put me first. You, whatever you get, you put that first aside and you don't touch it. That belongs to God. Well, finally, well, what is the promise of stewardship? Look at verse 10. He says, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. There are two words there, two key words, full and overflowing. The emphasis is there's a supernatural work going on here. God says, when you honor me, I am supernaturally going to take care of you. That, that word being filled in, in, in Hebrew is called imperfect tense. It means it goes on and on and on. God will continue to take care. Here's what's fascinating to me as I study scripture about stewardship. The emphasis of stewardship is not what we give, it's what we receive. You ever notice that? You, you look at all the verses on stewardship about giving, the emphasis is on what we receive. Malachi chapter 3, bring all the tithes to the storehouse, there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, if I will not open up the window of heaven and pour out for you a blessing, that there will be not room enough to receive it. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, give it, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put in your bosom for the same measure that you use will be measured to you. Here's what's amazing. God says, almost every verse, when he talks about giving, he talks about receiving. Here's what's amazing to me. If that wasn't true, people would be lined up calling God a liar. You see what he's doing? God is saying, put me the test. 
How many people have you ever heard say, I've tithed for a year and God didn't take care of my needs? Anybody? I've been a pastor for 40 years. I've never heard anyone come to my office and say, I've been, I've been tithing for a year and God hasn't met my needs. God says supernaturally, I will meet your needs. Now, please hear me. Especially if you're online, please hear me. I am not saying give to the church and you'll get a new car. I am not saying give to the church and, and you'll be a millionaire. I'm not saying give to the church and and you'll you'll go around the world. I'm not saying that because it's not true and it's bad theology. I'm not saying that. In fact, if anyone says that, stay away from them, okay? The Bible says something different. The Bible says, God says, I will take care of your necessities, your daily needs. That's what he's promised. And really, that's all we need, isn't it? God says, when you give to me, I will take care of your daily needs. Because your security will be in God. Never put your security in anything that can be taken away from you. If you put your security in your health, you can lose your health. You put your security in your job, well, you can lose your job. You you put your security in, in, in a loved one, you can lose a loved one. You put your security in a marriage, well, you could actually lose your marriage. You put your security in money, there's a thousand ways to lose your money. But when you put your security in God, in Jesus Christ, he will never leave you. That cannot be taken away. Put your security in something that you cannot lose. That's in Jesus So this morning, where's your security? Is your security in God or in your stuff? Is your security in God or in your money? If your security is in God, then you will honor God by giving. That's what the Bible says. And God will take care of you. Our daughter lives in in Texas. You go out to Texas, you'll see Sam Houston name everywhere. Now, I don't know if you know much about Sam Houston, but really he belongs to the United States more than just Texas. He was born in Virginia, but congressman and governor of Tennessee. He resigned as governor of Tennessee, moved out to Arkansas, and lived with Native Americans for a while. Then he came to Texas because they were fighting for the independence from Mexico, took place and led the army to defeat General Santa Ana. When Texas became a republic in 1836, he was elected the first president of Texas. When Texas was admitted to the Union in 1845, he became the first senator. In 1859, he became elected the sixth governor of the state. Now, Texas is rough back in the day. Sam Houston had a nickname. They called him Big Drunk. When your name is Big Drunk... In Texas, you're a rough character. Sam married a Baptist lady who prayed for him daily. Now, he claimed he was a Christian, but his life never showed it. Until, at age 61, Sam Houston accepted Christ. Dr. Rufus Brillison, who was president of Baylor University and pastor of the small Baptist church, baptized him. 
Sam walked down the aisle. He said, I give you my hand, and with it, I give my heart to the Lord. So on November 19th, 1854, he was baptized in Brucey Creek. In fact, word got out that Sam Houston's being baptized. 250 people showed up. After he was baptized, they said, we're general. All your sins have been washed away. And Sam Houston replied, God help the fish down below. (laughs) But as he was being baptized, the pastor said, you better take off your watch and your chain. And he did. He said, also, you need to take out your wallet. And Sam Houston said, no, that needs baptizing too. After he was baptized, he paid half the pastor's salary from that day forward. He gave his tithe to the church. He gave money to Baylor University and began to help minister students the rest of his life. He went from the rowdy Sam Houston, the big drunk, to a giver in the name of Jesus. When Jesus is first and you trust him, giving is easy. But it all begins with what have you done with Jesus? This morning, have you given your life to Jesus? If not, will you give your life to him? Because in all sincerity, I mean, stewardship is about giving. The first thing you give is your life. And we give our life because he gave his life for us. Would you stand and bow your heads? Those watching online, if you'd like to give your life to Christ today, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. If you're here this morning, you would like to give your life to Christ or join this church or some other decision, in a few moments as we begin singing, just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers. But my question is, right now, what are you thinking? Are you more concerned about your stuff and your money, or are you more concerned at this very moment about Jesus? Will you give your life to him? Our Father in heaven, we pray now. You'll speak to our hearts. Father, let us realize how important it is to be givers. The Father will give in the right way. The Father will give in a way that will honor you, not dishonor you. But, Father, giving begins when we give our life to you. And so, Father, if there's anyone here today or watching online who needs to give their life to you in a personal way, let them do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.